0: Hi there. Welcome to Liquidation Preference, the podcast that discusses everything founders need to know about startup law and venture capital over a beverage of our choosing. I'm your host, Andrew Kusmal, and I'm glad you stopped by for a quick drink. Today, we will discuss some of the important control terms in a term sheet while I enjoy a lambic. So grab a drink, pull up a seat, and let's get into it. Today's episode is brought to you by Koosmal Legal, the law firm dedicated to helping founders navigate the legal process of starting, running, and fundraising for a startup. Head on over to koosmallegal.com. That's K U S S M A U L legal.com to read great material tailored for founders and get help with all your startup's legal needs. I chose a lambic for today's discussion because if you don't know, they are brewed with fruit and that fruit can leave a very powerful flavor on your palette, Very similar to the control terms in a term sheet, these terms can impose a strong impression on how your startup operates or how others act. So what are control terms? Well, if you can't guess already, they're terms that give investors control over certain company actions or give them power to compel others to act in a certain way. In my opinion, there are four important control terms that every founder needs to know before they raise their Series A. These are terms that dictate how the board of directors is composed, protective provisions, pay to play, and drag along rights. Let's start with the board of directors. Now, unlike in your seed round, where I said you shouldn't give up a board seat at all, you can expect to give up at least one board seat in your Series A. Now, this makes a lot of sense considering that the investors in your Series A, the VC firms, are going to be putting in millions, if not more, into your startup. They want to be able to have control over the direction of the startup to ensure that their investment, or more accurately, their return, is protected. The typical provision in the term sheet spells out how the board of directors will be chosen. Typically, from what I've seen for, let's say, for example, for a three-person board, it'll state that one of the board seats will be chosen by the investors, one will be chosen by the founders, and one will be chosen by mutual consent. After your Series A round, your typical board size is going to be anywhere between three to five members. Now, there is a lot of information out there on how to compose a board, how to get the most out of them, Plenty of articles, YouTube videos, Twitter threads, and I'm not going to dive into how to get the most out of your board or how to choose the right composition for it. And by all means, scour the internet. You can read all that stuff yourself. One thing I will tell you is that when it comes to this term in your Series A, sometimes investors want one of the board seats to be filled by the then current CEO. Now, this may be okay in the beginning because that's either you or one of your co-founders, but sometimes the CEO in a venture-backed company gets replaced or, or fired. It is an unfortunate reality and it does happen. And if that happens, then obviously a new CEO is brought in and sometimes this new outside CEO, well, not sometimes, if this term is applicable, they will take that board seat. So you might find yourself in a situation where you and your co-founders may have held two or three board seats, maybe down a board seat after all of this. Now, I don't want to scare you. This isn't inherently bad, but I just want it to be a reminder that you need to take careful consideration into one, who you put on your board, into how you compose it. Another right that's associated with How the board of directors are chosen is for the investors to be able to bring on what are called board observer or board observer rights. Now, the board observer is typically an associate from the venture capital firm. Remember, the investor who's going to be sitting on your board is most likely one of the partners from the venture capital firm that's leading your round, the one that's putting in the most money. What the board observer rights do is allow them to bring on an associate to be able to observe. Board meetings. The idea behind this is that the partner who's sitting on your board is most likely sitting on multiple boards across the firm's portfolio company, and they just need help with some of the administrative duties, just be able to keep things straight. While that's true, it, it's also more of a glorified role for the person in the venture capital firm who gets to be chosen as a board observer. Usually, they're just able to use it as bragging rights to their fellow co-workers or their friends outside the office. This term is benign, and you really shouldn't push back on it. However, I have heard stories about the board observer sometimes being the loudest person in the room and actually swaying the direction and decision of the board. You know, as a founder, this is something that you don't want to have happen. You don't want somebody who's not on the board, who's outside of the company, to be able to have that much power. Therefore, it's best to try to manage expectations around this term instead of trying to get rid of it. Now, it may sound silly, but you might want to consider when you're talking to investors about this term, stating that the board observers are only there to observe only and not be able to speak. The next term we're going to talk about are protective provisions. Now, this term is hotly negotiated because it gives the investors control over specific company actions. What it states is that you have to get investor approval, usually a majority in interest, sometimes more, sometimes less, before your company can take certain actions. Now, these actions range from few to many, but typically they're relate to more of the important company decisions or decisions that are going to affect the investor's interest in the company. For example, having to get their approval to liquidate the company or having to get their approval before you increase the authorized share amount or enter into a new round of financing. It's very important when you're negotiating these terms to keep a level head because like it or not, investors are going to want some of these terms. There's no way you're going to get rid of protective provisions from your term sheet. This is where a startup attorney is invaluable. They'll be able to not only decipher those provisions and exactly what the investors want, they'll also be able to offer you guidance on where you need to push back and which ones we need to try to take out. That's why it's so important that you have an attorney review your term sheet before you sign it. High level, when it comes to these terms, they need to be logical. Okay, approval to liquidate your startup, I think we can all agree that that makes sense. Having to get their approval before you order new office supplies, no, no, that doesn't. So you just got to kind of keep that mindset when you're negotiating this term. The next term we're going to talk about is the pay to play. Now, it's funny, when it comes to venture capital terms, some of these terms actually have a literal translation into how they work. Pay to play is one of those. And I feel it's kind of very odd for legal terms to do that, but this one does. So pay to play sounds pretty self-explanatory, but we're going to dive into it here. What this term states is that if a majority and interest of your current investors, let's say for example, your series A investors vote to participate or AKA invest in your next round, say your series B, then all the investors have to invest their pro rata share in that round, or they're going to lose their preferred status. So what does this mean? So let's say your investors, majority in interest, let's say, vote to invest in your Series B. If investors decide not to invest in that Series B round after this pay-to-play provision has been activated, then some or all of their preferred shares Are going to get automatically converted into common shares, meaning they're going to lose all those extra special rights and protections that they got in their Series A round. Now, this may sound harsh, but probably you as a founder, since it only affects investors, you probably really either don't care or are saying good, you know, and and fair enough. But this term is important to have because it can just help separate the more dedicated investors from the ones who really just kinda of wanna take a back seat and not really be that active or involved. The last term we're gonna be talking about are drag-along rights. Now, this is one of those other little, those terms that has a little translation to how it operates. When people hear drag-along, you probably get a very strong picture in your head of someone being forced to do something against their will. While that's true, this term is not as foreboding as it may sound or, or what you're picturing in your head. What this term states is that if a majority in interest of your Series A shares vote for a liquidation event, then all the shareholders, including you and all the common shareholders, must vote the same way. Now, this typically applies to a sale or like a liquidation, like dissolving the company. And how it works is that if you have a majority of your Series A investors, the majority in interest, say like 51%, vote to sell the company there's a proposed acquisition, they vote to sell it, then everyone, including you and your co-founders, are forced to go along with it. Now, practically speaking, if there is a really good offer on the table to sell the company and everybody's going to be leaving with a nice chunk of change, then this provision's really not going to be that big of a deal for you because you're probably going to be lining up just like everybody else. However, there may be some scenarios where The proposed valuation of the company at the sale isn't what you like, or you just plain and simple, you may not be ready to cash out yet. Due to that, it's very important to try to alter this term to be able to give you and your co-founders a little bit more control on when it's activated. What you should try to do is negotiate the term to where it's a majority of the common shareholders have not converted now that's key who are able to trigger this drag along right now I say not converted because if you remember to previous discussions the investors are buying what's called preferred convertible stock meaning that they can convert their preferred shares into common shares at any time and after you go through several successive rounds of financing you're going to find yourself at a point to where the preferred shares overshadow the amount of your common shares. And if you don't specify that people or shareholders who convert can't activate this right, then what will happen is during a proposed sale, if all the investors want to go through with the sale and you don't, all they have to do is just convert to common and simply outvote you. Now, that's a drastic example for sure, but it's one that I hope illustrates to you how powerful these terms are and how important it is to have your attorney review them before you agree to them. Overall, this drag along ride, I feel, is a great cleanup mechanism for sale because at the end of the day, it allows you to bypass getting approval for the sale from all those smaller investors in your round who may be hard to find and who may not want to sell the company for one reason or another. Overall, your Series A term sheet negotiation is very, very important. And I know I've said it several times in today's discussion, I'm gonna say it again, you need to have a startup attorney who reviews these day in and day out, review it for you before you sign. Because what many don't realize is that the terms you agree to in your Series A, well, in your Series B, they're going to translate over. When you're raising your another round of financing after your Series A, a lot of the investors in the Series B round want the exact same rights and protections that your Series A investors had. So if you had favorable terms in your Series A, the chances are very, very high that those uh, favorable terms are going to carry over to your Series B. If you agreed to terrible terms in your Series A, and are hoping that your Series B you can maybe negotiate better terms? Not likely. Most likely those terrible terms from your Series A, some of them are gonna carry over to your Series B and it's just not gonna be a great experience for you at all. Well, it's been a great first 10 discussions and I really hope you learned something new and useful about startup law or venture capital. I definitely want to let you know that I will be taking a break for a few weeks just to catch up and create new material for y'all. In the meantime, definitely email me at liquidationpreference at gmail.com. That's the show title, liquidationpreference, all one word, at gmail.com. Email me any questions you may have, uh, tips you may have, critiques, or any topics you'd like for me to discuss in future episodes. I'd be more than happy. I'd love to hear from you. I wish I could order another round with you, but unfortunately it's time to go. If you'd like to learn more about what was discussed today, head on over to my blog at Kusma Legal. that's k-u-s-s-m-a-u-l-legal.com. Also be sure to follow me on Twitter at techstartupattorney and on Instagram at startup underscore attorney. I hope you enjoyed our time together your beverage of choice, and that you learned something useful. More importantly, I hope you enjoyed this much-needed break from running your startup. Being a founder is stressful, and it's important to take breaks every once in a while. While you're always taking care of your startup, you shouldn't forget to take care of yourself. See you next time. Everything discussed in this episode is purely educational in nature and should not be interpreted in any way as legal advice specific to your startup. If you have any questions about what was discussed on today's show and how it pertains to your startup or situation, please consult with your legal counsel.